we bring in Craig Custance, who covers uh, the NHL for ESPN.com. He joins us. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, gentlemen. How's it going? We're great. Doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks uh, for doing this. What do you think about uh, the young man, Ryan Ellis? Obviously, a lot of hype uh, from the draft all the way through juniors and up through the system, and now he's getting the opportunity to play at the NHL level. Uh, and I know he doesn't have very many games under his belt, but uh, do you think the future is truly bright for him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a guy that, the, you know, the Nashville Predators have liked for a long time. And really, I mean, he's the classic case of, of the way the uh, Predators groom their players. I mean, they, I think a lot of teams would have been tempted to rush Ryan Ellis and, and get him up to the, to the pro game. I mean, he brings, uh, he brings that kind of uh, puck-moving offense you want from your, from your uh, defenseman in, in today's game. And, and a lot of teams uh, would love to have a Ryan Ellis on their team. And, and, but again, I mean, that's just not how the Nashville Predators under David Poyle and, and Barry Trotz do things. And, and uh, here we are, you know, six games this season for Ryan Ellis. He's got two goals and two assists, a, a good game last night. And, and, I mean, he's the kind of player they're going to need uh, in the second half of the season to produce. I mean, they, they, they need more guys uh, sparking the offense, and, and uh, he's certainly capable of doing it. Speaking of David Poyle, Craig, um, obviously he's got some decisions that need to take yeah. place you know, before the trade deadline. I'm sure you're very well aware of some of the things that are going on here in Nashville, especially revolving around Ryan Suter. What do you think might, uh, might take place? Well, I, I, to me, the Nashville Predators um, and the decisions that David Poyle make here in the next month or so, uh, I mean, it could be the most crucial thing we see in the entire league because not only does it affect Nashville and, and kind of their playoff hopes this year, if he decides to trade one of those defensemen, and most likely it would be Ryan Suter if he does, I mean, that could completely change the expectations in another city. I mean, let's say, for, for example, the Philadelphia Flyers end up getting Ryan Suter. They go from a team that probably right now is, is you know, third or fourth in the East as far as expectations go. I'd, I'd put them... I mean, the Boston Bruins have kind of uh, established themselves as the favorite in the East. I really like what the New York Rangers are doing. And then you kind of drop off a little bit, and then, then you're talking about the Flyers, only because they're goaltending and they lost Chris Pronger. Now you add a guy like Ryan Suter to the mix, that team immediately uh, jumps into that top tier. And I would say that would be the case with any team that Ryan Suter goes to. I mean, he's that good and, and could be that pivotal uh, in the second half of the, of the season. But at the same time, I mean, David Poyle has said again and again that their priority is to sign these guys, and and that's the challenge. I, I think when you, I think the the big decision is going to be if they don't have him signed, what do you do? I mean, he's still an important part of this team. Do you trade him for a huge package and, and turn the page, or do you try to win with him now? And, and I think that's the decision that's facing the Predators here short term. Yeah, they also have the the other six hundred pound gorilla facing them. They're staring them down too, and Shea Weber. So, oh a lot of big decisions to be made. Uh, speaking of big decisions, you know, the news came out, Craig, that the NHL was, you know, going to do this realignment, and uh, you know, this conferences, and yeah. and they would add the Wild and the Stars and and the Jets to uh, the Predators de- the de- conference. And now it looks like the NHLPA has squashed this whole thing. What is the latest on this front? And I don't really understand. Uh, why they're not in favor. Give, just kind of give us more inner workings of why the PA has been so strong against this move. You know, I, I don't think it's that they're totally against the, the realignment. And, and, you know, the people I talk to, I, I think ultimately, it's not going to be next year, but it, probably the, the season after, we're probably going to see a, a pretty similar form to what was uh, decided at the, in Pebble Beach at the Board of Governors meeting in December. I think in, in the, the issue, the, the reason the players gave was there was some concern about competitive uh, 
disadvantage for the teams. Uh, you, you had some of the conferences, there was, there was an imbalance there in how many teams were in, in each conference. So I know some players were concerned about that. Players were a little bit concerned about travel and the potential for increased travel, and they wanted a little bit more information from the league as far as what that was going to mean for them moving forward. And, and again, I, I, you know, I, I keep pointing this out, but it was the league that had the hard deadline. I mean, the players were still kind of willing to work this out if, if they could get more data as far as the travel went, and then the league kind of had this hard deadline of last week because they had to get the schedules done, and, and that's why we saw what we saw. But to me, guys, I think the biggest issue was that the, the, the players felt like the league was kind of ramming this decision down their throats. I mean, they, they didn't feel like this was a true partnership. The uh, Players Association didn't feel like they, you know, they walked in step with the league. It was just something that they felt kind of uh, generated from the league offices and Gary Bettman. And then, uh, you know, Gary did a great job in convincing the, the 30 different uh, governors at Pebble Beach to, to pass this. And I don't feel like the players felt like they had enough of a say in this. And, I mean, ultimately, this is kind of the first salvo in what we're going to see in these CBA negotiations that are going to heat up uh, right around the All-Star break here. So I think that, to me, was the biggest issue. They didn't feel they were part of it. They didn't have enough information. And when that hard deadline came, they didn't feel comfortable uh, give, you know, giving the rubber stamp. He is ESPN.com's NHL writer, Craig Custis, joining us here in the Wendy's first quarter. I, I'm, I'm going to hate saying this, Craig, but I'm going <laughs> to say it anyway. Okay. Jack Johnson, he Tebowed Monday night after his second period goal against uh, yeah. against the Capitals. You know, what are your thoughts about hockey players Tebowing? I, you know, I, I have no issue with it. I think <laughs> it's not very timely. I mean, haven't we? Uh, I thought we've moved on from Tebowing. Maybe not. I, you know, it's I got its uh, own term now, Craig. It's got its own term. <laughs> it does. It does. Look, I, I think is uh, anything that that brings attention to the game and is fun. And I, I know, like hockey players, there's there's a code. You don't show up. You're uh, probably more so than any other sport. You don't show up the opponent. I mean, you just you look back at the kind of. I remember a couple of years ago, if, if you guys remember Alex Ovechkin doing kind of the hot stick. Uh, yeah. You know, people did not like that. And and you know, it, go, it kind of goes against the the team first attitude that you have in hockey. But at the same time, I mean, Jack Johnson's always kind of been the kind of marched to his own beat and he's been his own player and he's he's got a little flash to him and, and i certainly don't mind it and i guess the story there is he he's a university of michigan guy and uh he had some buddies in town and and coming off that game uh that playoff game they said look if you score a goal you got a tebow and, and he promised him he would and, and there he was doing it I, I honestly i had no issue with it i think it's fun it's going to lead us to other things i'm uh, telling you they're going to start <laughs> celebrating after goals just to put it in per- slow, eh? <laughs> just to put in perspective craig you know the the titans numbers here locally are just off the charts tv yeah. wise uh the broncos steelers game here in nashville had higher ratings than a lot of the titans games this year that's incredible <laughs> i mean that's I, I, it's it's an irresistible story i mean the fact that it's seeped in, into hockey just to shows you the kind of draw that he has right now yeah unbelievable. I, I haven't always agreed with commissioner bettman's decisions over yeah. the years and i've been critical of a lot of things he's done in the league but one thing that i have to give him credit for and say they've done this right is the winter classic uh, i think it's it's here to stay and i think it's a great addition to the sport and great exposure for the sport and of course we saw the flyers and the rangers on january 2nd ironically philadelphia comes here on saturday and in one of the the neat pieces around this is what hbo is doing with the 24 7 i just love that and i hope that the nhl and i want to get your opinion on this craig really branches out obviously you know where i'm going with this i'd like yeah. to see down the road and we've talked with barry trotz about this on the show 
I'd like for them to, you know, start including some of the other markets rather than all the big boys. You know, what are the odds that the Predators, even if it's on the row, you know, which probably it would have to be in like a Chicago or Detroit, but what is it going to take to get some of the other teams involved in this classic? Well, the the biggest challenge with that is this is such a a made-for-TV event. And I agree, first of all. It's it's by far my favorite event to cover outside of this, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs when it comes to hockey. It's just, it's a lot of fun. The players are all in a great mood. Uh, It's just a really easy way to showcase hockey. And it's, I mean, it's it's a great success. And, but, you know, as far as getting the Predators involved, it's a game that's made for NBC and it's a game made to draw ratings. And I, I think, you know, that's a challenge. And so, in its early kind of carnation here, we've seen the same teams over and over again a little bit, and, and I think it's gonna, we're gonna probably going to see Detroit again next year and, and, uh, and perhaps against the Chicago Blackhawks. And, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with teams that they think are going to draw nationally when, when kind of uh, the casual sports fan is flipping the channel. Now, I will say this, so I had a conversation with John Collins, who's kind of uh, credited for being the grandfather of the Winter Classic and the guy that, that really uh, came up with the idea and pushed for it to be an annual event. And he said he hopes one day that the game gets to a point where where the matchup is really secondary and and people are going to tune in regardless. And kind of the comparison he uses, he said, nobody ever cancels their Super Bowl party because they don't like the matchup. You just go, you watch the event, you have a great time, and you move on. And I think, and I, and I don't know if the game's there yet, but you know, perhaps a few years down the line it gets to that point where the matchup is secondary and people are just kind of conditioned to tune in. At that point, I think they can start taking a little bit more risks with with who's who's in the game. But I really, don't, I think short term we're going to see a lot of these same teams uh, again and again. Hey, Craig, I I had some problems with this. I wasn't sure if this was satire or if you were being serious. I read your five things that you would change uh, in the NHL, and the first one was you you you, you take out the uh, the Canadian teams. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that played satire. well north of the border. <laughs> I still get it. Only got like nine million comments uh, of people just hammering me from Canada, from up north. <laughs> it's funny because you know I, I, it was it was kind of done tongue in cheek because at the time that you know with the rally of the Canadian dollar it was throwing some things out. So I just said, oh, let's lop off these Canadian teams. Let's make this an American game and, and move on. And oh, boy, you know, I want that one back. <laughs> that is great. Uh, I guess it's not very. This is not a good year to be an NHL coach, right? Uh, no, no. It wow. seems like every day I wake up Monday morning and, and I'm writing, you know, the uh, obituary on somebody's job. Right. But, you know, I, and I, you know, I'm going to write about it a little bit this week. I think what we may see next, and it probably, I mean, it's not going to happen until next summer, but I think we may see a few GM changes, which maybe more so in the past. You know, as as if some of these coaching changes don't pan out, um, I, I think that's kind of the next logical step is is you sit there and you analyze, okay, who, who's the guy making these decisions and. How many coaches can we let him fire before we uh, decided he may be the problem? <laughs> Craig, uh, thanks so much for doing this. It was good talking to you, and uh, let's do it again. See you, Craig. All right, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. All right, Craig Custance from ESPN.com. <laughs> How many coaches are we going to let him fire before we get rid of him? <laughs> that is a good point. At some point, you have to look at the GM and say, well, you're the guy who keeps hiring these guys. Coach, this is your sixth coach in six years. What, what's the problem? <laughs>